Today, we are tackling cancel culture, the cancellation conundrum. That is the world, the age that we are living in right now. I almost called this episode when your favorite artists do nutty things or when your when your favorite artists might disappoint you, but it's easier to just call it the cancellation conundrum. We all have a talent, an actor, a musician, an artist that did something, said something that fell outside of the norm, that was possibly dangerous, that was possibly irresponsible, and suddenly they're being reevaluated. But does that mean we, we don't get to like the music anymore? We don't get to like the art? We don't get to like the acting, the movies, the television? We discuss all of this, the serious hot potato that is the cancellation conundrum on an all-new episode of Observations. Hey everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. You are listening to another episode of Observations. Observations is the show where we talk about all the comic books and all the pop culture and how they all got smashed up together into one giant dynamic entertainment industry. They are the movies that most people go see nowadays. They pack the theaters, the butts in the seats are like none other unless you're Tom Cruise flying your your F-14 and uh, in Top Gun Maverick which was awesome, but but other than that, boy, superheroes. They continue to have a stranglehold on the box office, on our, our entertainment attention. I mean, it's it's on our streaming, it's on our video games. Regularly, we're informed, this new character's coming to Fortnite. This new character's coming to Mortal Kombat. Superheroes are everywhere. They're on your aisles of your big box store, whether it's Best Buy, whether it's Target, whether it's Walmart, you can't escape them. They're everywhere. <laughs> you can get superhero socks at your department store. You can get wallets. You can get uh, water bottles. You guys, the superhero sensation is one that I've been involved in since I was seven years old, 1974. Yes, that sounds like the, the Dark Ages, the Stone Ages. It, it sounds so far away because it was. And yet, they caught my attention immediately. I fell in love with comics. Comics, I think, saved my life. Comics saved my life. They were there for me when my father suffered through uh, cancer and tumors and all other different struggles in my life. I always turned to a comic book to escape the the madness. And and I, I was introduced to all manner of incredible writers, artists, illustrators, creators that inspired me to create comics myself, which I've been doing for 37 years, 37 years of writing and publishing and creating and drawing and inking and, uh, you know, coloring. Yes, I painted some pages, painted some covers, been to the printing press, watched the books come off the press because I wanted those levels to match up just right. When I was a teenager, I ran a print shop. I ran a print shop uh, that worked for our church and I printed the church bulletins. I printed the sermon notes. I printed all the flyers that there was uh, when there was a special Christmas program. I, I printed that. I was I was uh, very well versed in the art of printing and, and the blending of color. And this is before computers. So trust me, I love comics. When I say I love comics, I mean, I, it is the obsession of my life. My family will tell you, my wife will tell you, my, my parents were they still here would tell you, my sister will tell you, my family will tell you. Comics are everything to me and, and, and they've become everything to everyone. I mean, my wife and I, we picked, we sat down on the couch to pick a show to watch and, and you go by these, by these menus. Obviously, Disney has a giant Marvel platform with a portfolio of shows that you can watch and over two years, they become incredibly stacked, as you know, with WandaVision, Winter Soldier, Loki, What If, She-Hulk, Moon Knight, Ms. Marvel. I'm not rattling these off in any particular order, but 
you guys are aware you've got Werewolf by Night right now as their special movie. We, we pop over to HBO Max and you've got all the classic Superman movies. You've got the recent movies. You've got the Zack Snyder portfolio. You've got Shazam. There's all manner of films and hours and hours that you can get caught escape in with these moving pictures. You've got the cartoons. You've got Harley Quinn. You've got Young Justice, you've got Justice League, you've got all the terrific um, Superman uh, adventures, Batman, Batman Beyond. Again, over on the on the Disney platform, you've got all the, the X-Men cartoons are, are, are loaded up, and, and those were just on fire in, in the 90s. I mean, hand-in-hand with the heat that was being generated by the comics that my peer group, me and my peer group were creating, that X-Men cartoon was just en fuego, every way you could look at it, just on fire, completely and totally the hottest thing on Saturday mornings. You continue, you go to Amazon, you've got the boys, you've got Invincible. Yeah, I mean, it, they are everywhere. Comic books have really permeated us in a way that I never, ever thought possible being a seven-year-old who had to hide my comics from my parents, hide my comics from my friends because they thought I was a nerd geek and, and, and I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be accepted. I didn't want to be cool. I just wanted to be accepted. One of my best friends, still one of my best friends to, to this day, I went to his house over a weekend about six months before I got hired into comics, and I had a uh, copy of the um, the Amazing Heroes. It was a magazine, kind of the Wizard Before Wizard for those of you who know what I'm talking about. But it was a comics publication covering comic books. It was a comic covered the comics industry. The uh, gentleman named John Byrne, who I've covered a lot on this show because he was so transformational, influential, uh, just just a huge uh, creator with a huge footprint in the comics industry, especially during my formative years, my youth. I think he created art and stories and images that are still unmatched to this day. His run on Uncanny X-Men transformed the X-Men, took them to the top of the charts. You don't get Dark Phoenix without him. You don't get Days of Future Past without him. You don't get many of the seminal X-Men adventures, and they don't get catapulted into the upper echelon of pop culture and comic book characters without him. Other people came and go, went along the way. Certainly, the tracks were laid down by Dave Cochran before him, but boom, he just lit that fire and turned it into a firestorm. And and when I uh, I bought everything he did, John Byrne was a guy I bought every single thing he did. Period. End of story. So he was about to take over Superman. I've done dedicated podcasts on this. If you want to go back in the library about when John Byrne took over Superman, it might be uh, filed under a 1986. It goes beyond. Just one episode. There's several that I've discovered that I've uh, covered John Byrne's incredible imprint. Well, this magazine I had under my arm when I went into my friend's house to show him. And he's like, oh, man, you're, you're still into comic books? Come on, man. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm trying to make a living here. Yes, I'm still into comics. But I felt that shame. This is almost Christmas 1986. I'd get hired uh, six months later, five months later in 1987. And I was like, man, didn't like him any less. I didn't judge him. I understood comics had a stigma. They had a stigma when I was a teenager. They were uncool. They were geeky. They were nerdy. There used to be all manner of what, what I would call think pieces written about how, why we don't read our comic books in public. And then cut to 20 years later, the manga and anime push really got to the point where it was not a big deal to be, you know, when everyone breaks for lunch in New York City or Los Angeles in these major metropolitan areas and they go and they sit on the park areas or out on the benches or out in front of their building, you know, and, and, and they're reading manga and they're, there's manga everywhere. And it was kind of like, oh, manga's cool. It's, it's this imports from Japan. They're cool. But it didn't translate over into proper comic books until obviously the MCU and, and, and the success of the, the Nolan Batman movies and then the incredible success of the MCU making comic books so ridiculously popular. So watching that evolve over all these years and being in the industry 
and having like help set up and launch a company called Image Comics, the third biggest comic book company, is a tremendous satisfaction. We did it through uh, sheer force of will and the support of fans. And then I started this podcast a couple of years back to talk about all that I have seen, all that I have known. And what has shocked me is the feedback from you guys, because sometimes I take on a topic that I think is already very well known and is going to bore you. And it's the reason maybe I've pushed it a couple episodes. And then I, I, I find out that very few people uh, knew about this at all. And so it is a great joy and pleasure sharing the information that I have from magazines like The Amazing Heroes, like magazines like Comics Journal, Comics Interview Magazine. There were so many publications being created to cover the movers and shakers in the comics industry, and they only mattered really to the people in the comics industry. People spoke very candidly. I mean, they spoke their truth. A lot of these guys didn't hold back, and I I am so excited that by sharing some of this and then my own stories in some of the different pivotal moments that I have been involved in in creating the comics industry that you live in right here and now, and yes, Image Comics 100% affected the comics industry. We changed the industry. Me and my peers, we changed the industry Full stop. Being part of that is a absolute badge of honor, and I am so glad that I can share the stories I was a part of, the stories that I have intimate details of, business stuff like Heroes Reborn. I invite you, go listen to those episodes. You will never be more entertained. Uh, I, I waited 25 years to tell the entire story, and you should listen to it. it. It culminates with Jim Lee trying to take over and run Marvel, and that that is a fact, Jack, and, and they flew out, and they almost pulled it off. These are exciting stories, behind-the-scenes stories, stuff that I kind of kept in, in the file drawers. And when you listen to these episodes... I know because you have told me, and I just want to thank you so much. You guys have thanked me for when I read these documents, these letters from Marvel to me, my letters, you know, back, the Todd McFarlane image comics faxes and the and the ridiculous things that were said, some of the interviews that he gave that you really can't find anymore. I am bringing you what they call the receipts uh, because what has been spoken of, no matter when it was spoken, matters. And this kind of dovetails into today's topic, which is I'm going to call the cancellation conundrum, the cancellation conundrum, because canceling is, it feels like it's a decade old now, the cancellation of things, people getting canceled. It seems like it's slowed down just a little, but the cancellation, canceling people, what does that even mean nowadays? We're going to discuss this, but I'm going to give you fair warning right here at the 10 minute mark. There is no judgment that's going to be rendered here. I'm not here to be judge, jury, executioner. You know, I, I live by the motto, only God can, can judge me. Only God can judge us, okay? I'm a spiritual guy. I'm a rational guy. I'm a realistic guy. I know that there's always multiple sides to each story. You know, one of the great endorsements that this podcast has received is from a gentleman named Jim Salakrip. He was the seminal editor on uh, Spider-Man, When You Love Spider-Man the Most, when it became the showcase for Todd McFarlane, the showcase for Eric Larson, the showcase for Mark Bagley. These shows that I that I air, uh, I put forth, I put these receipts, I, I bring these interviews to life, I share my own experiences. A guy like Jim Salakrup, the editor for 10 years for a decade, 87 to 97, I mean, Spider-Man was never selling better and never doing better than during this time. Jim actually recruited me to come and do the Spider-Man book for him. I'm just telling you, like, this is the, the knowledge and the relationship that I had with him. I did a Spider-Man annual. Ironically, it featured She-Hulk. That's really exciting. I loved that it featured She-Hulk. I love She-Hulk at the time. It's part of a event in the uh, summer of 89 called Atlantis Attacks. It was right before I jumped on New Mutants and, and, and started giving you Cable and Deadpool and all that other stuff. But Jim wanted me to come and be the complimentary penciler creator to Todd on the Spider-Man books because he was trying to transform that line, which had kind of stumbled and not been at the top anymore. X-Men was routinely running 
the, the comic book industry. And, and he wanted to put Spider-Man back on top. He did that partially by putting Todd on Spider-Man and watching those sales boom. Then he wanted Web of Spider-Man, which was the title at the time, and Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, which, which was the second spinoff ever of Spider-Man. Spun off in the, eight, in, in, the, in the 70s. Web of Spider-Man was spun off later in the 80s. So you had Amazing Spider-Man, Spectacular Spider-Man, and Web of Spider-Man. And Jim Salaker wanted me to be part of that lineup alongside Todd. I, I just felt like there was no real way to outshine Todd on that book. There was just no way. I, I, all I was going to do was incorporate all the same influences that he had used, which was John Byrne, Michael Golden, Art Adams, and put them into that same kind of pie that he was serving. And I just knew, like, I'm just going to be running behind this guy because he's already the guy on the book. But had I contributed, who knows, because then Eric Larson comes comes along, and then you've got three of the most popular, best-selling creators of that time. That's indisputable, by the way. That's not my opinion. I'm giving you facts that sales figures uh, that, that myself and Todd and Eric were, were best-sellers. Instead, I pivoted away to the X-Men office and went and, and, and then, you know, Jim Lee joined shortly after I did and then Wills Portacio. And so, so you know, and Mark Silvestri was already there. So pretty much most of the Image Comics talent that, that launched the label were in the Spider-Man office or in the X-Men office. And then there's Jim Valentino who was doing his own thing, making his own noise, making Guardians of the Galaxy a relevant, best-selling comic book for the first time in forever. But I always wonder, had I followed that path, Jim Salakrup really, he's like, come on, join us. It'll be fun. Join us. Well, the reason I'm giving so much time to Jim Salaker is he shared an endorsement of this show. So when I bring these stories to you guys, I was just so thrilled. Jim has shared and stated, he uh, posted on Facebook, Jim Salaker, I am really enjoying Rob Liefeld's podcast for observations. The man knows how to talk and keep your interest. I love his impersonations of Todd McFarlane, Avi Arad. Avi was the president of Marvel for about 15 years. And Bob Harris, who was the editor-in-chief of Marvel eventually after being my own editor. So now knowing those names, I'm going to go back. I love his impersonations of Todd McFarlane, Avi Arad, and Bob Harris. The official histories of what happened back in the late 80s and early 90s by so many of the non-image folks are not quite the true story. So it's refreshing to hear another view by someone who actually lived it. Check out observations. What he's saying there is these publications that say, we're going to tell you about the 80s and 90s, they're not telling you the truth. They are absolutely not giving you the whole story. It is completely, some of them are garbage and they didn't bother to talk to any of us. So I think that's exactly what Jim Salakrup is mentioning. But but somebody who is in the office, who I have no business with, we don't trade, there's no, I'm not doing work for Jim. Jim's not doing work for me. He has no reason to post that endorsement, but I appreciate it so much because it tells you that when I do share these receipts and I share these stories and I share my behind the scenes, I am in fact giving you the rendition of history that happened to me and to the guys around me. So I do appreciate so much his endorsement of this show. And again, as it pertains to the cancellation conundrum, the cancel conundrum, it's really a different world out there now. It really is a different world. And I wanted to talk to you about this. I, I almost labeled this episode, when your artists go crazy. And then I was like, well, that's not a good title. When your artists go nuts. No, that's not a good title. But, uh, you know, again, we're going to examine some of this today because it's just really on my mind. But I, again, I appreciate the endorsement of someone who really has no skin in the game from Jim Salaker, big time Spider-Man editor, worked with all of us. I'm sure Jim Lee did some Spider-Man co covers along the way. So, I mean, he's literally worked with um, each and every one of us. I think Mark Silvestri might have done some Web of Spider-Mans, Peter Parker's, maybe an annual. So, again, Jim worked with all of us. He was a big shot. 
big time editor and his endorsement just means so much and I'm happy to share that with you guys. The cancellation conundrum. I look around today and I look at the things that people do and speak and how quickly forces move to remove them, to diminish them. And again, there is no judgment being rendered here. Again, there is no judgment being rendered. I am an observer sharing the facts with you. But I'm going to start with you on the streets of New York City. Not just a week ago, I was walking out of my hotel to go to the Javits Center where they were holding the New York Comic Con. And two blocks into my walk, I see coming right at me is Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey, an artist of, of an actor of tremendous acclaim. I think we all can say that we have truly enjoyed many of his performances throughout the years. But an actor who is currently semi under the cancellation umbrella because of many allegations that have been brought against him, many accusations. Uh, there's an actor named Anthony Rapp who has made accusations that it's going to court. Uh, he's, got, he's got lawsuits. He's got accusations. He's got a lot of trouble over perceived uh, behavior, accusations of behavior of, of I mean, I guess you, you, you would call it a manner of abuse. I don't have the stuff in front of me, but or, or bad behavior. And, and I don't want to diminish it. I just don't have the stuff in front of me. But you guys know he's had a lot of trouble. A lot of stuff came out about him. Accusations came out about him. And I've met Kevin Spacey. I met Kevin Spacey at a couple of industry parties over the last several years. Uh, probably my favorite Kevin Spacey role to this day is, is Swimming with Sharks, which I think is just a brilliant, small, independent film. It's about the entertainment industry. He plays the insufferable boss also. There are no shortage of great Kevin Spacey roles, as you guys know. Maybe one of them stands out to you. But he certainly was an actor that for 25 years seemed to be at the very top of his game before the giant fall. You know, he was headlining House of Cards, which was Netflix kind of breakout show that put them on the map. But whether it was American Beauty, which uh, obviously he got a ton of acclaim for, or Again, if you have not seen Swimming with Sharks, do that. I mean, he, he's, got, he's got roles in L.A. Confidential, Baby Driver. That's probably the last film that I saw him in. He's in Horrible Bosses. I mean, this guy has got an incredible, incredible resume. And as I passed him and, and locked eyes with him, I totally forgot he played Lex Luthor in Superman Returns. Okay, I mean, Kevin Spacey, come on. So again, I've met him. I've met him, so if I'm looking him straight in the face... I know exactly what he looks like. He was with one other gentleman walking down very quickly the Fifth Avenue. And he, he's with another gentleman. Now he has a like fedora on and dark glasses and a heavy coat. He is very much trying not to be noticed. I looked right at him. And as he came towards me for 35 seconds, I'm like, oh man, there's Kevin Spacey. Now, again, he's in the news. The trial with Anthony Rapp has been making headlines. I'm like, oh, there's Kevin Spacey. And I immediately reevaluated in my head, like so many of you. Do I like Kevin Spacey? Do I still like Kevin Spacey? Do I still like his roles? Do I still enjoy his work? Um, did I have an impulse to slap him? Did I have an impulse to, to reprimand him? All these contradicting feelings came through me as I passed Kevin Spacey on the streets of New York City. And it made me think of all that he's been through. And it made me think of all of the incredible celebrated work uh, you know, there's a movie that he did with Samuel L. Jackson that I really dig that I'm going to, it's called The Negotiator. Boom, The Negotiator. Oh my gosh, did I love The Negotiator. Obviously creepy as all hell in seven. And many of you jumped 
on the Kevin Spacey, like, wow, this guy's amazing bandwagon after an early role in The Usual Suspects. Again, for me, my first encounter that I really, that, that, that made an impact was Swimming with Sharks. So anyway, guy's a tremendous talent. K-Pax, whatever. Negotiator. I love The Negotiator. Great movie. Kevin Spacey, tremendous talent, but now bogged down by all manner of accusations, bad behavior, and he has been kind of behind the scenes fighting this overseas for a while. There he was. Boom. Streets of New York City. There he was. And I mean, it was boom. I mean, right, right there. And I was like, oh my gosh. And again, very much dark glasses, dark fedora, heavy coat on a fairly warm day in New York City. And so this made me kind of, how do I feel about Kevin Spacey? How do I feel? I didn't used to have to wonder this, but of course he's been put under this umbrella of shame. And yes, I mean, let's just go get the woman who cried judgment, you know, shame, shame, uh, throughout that, that epic walk, uh, walk of shame in Game of Thrones. I mean, we all, if we watch Game of Thrones, we remember immediately shame. And I think that, that, that is the same woman who is in Ted Lasso. So, so her crying out shame behind Cersei, shame, shame, you know, that's what you think of now when you think of these canceled people. Well, no less than a few hours later, I am looking at my phone and Kanye West has stepped in it bigger than he's ever stepped in it. Now he's been amping the volume up. I follow him on all his social medias. Uh, my kids will tell you that dad was an original Kanye West fan, that they're very white bread, but, but totally sucked into hip hop father. And, and I have Marat Michaels and I'm Marat. I know sometimes you listen to this show, Marat Michaels. He, uh, came up in the business being my assistant, later my role dog, uh, which meant, you know, I needed a ride to FedEx and we have to use the carpool lane. I mean, Murad is laughing as he hears this because he knows it's true, but but most of the New Mutants art was touched by him as the transfer process that I was using. You guys know I draw these comic book pages very small. I've been doing this for 30 plus years. He would blow them up per my, I, I would actually pick the size, get it to a size that I thought would fit good on 11 by 17. He would then light box what I had done small, blown up big, and then I would ink over those very lightly. He would trace the 11 by 17 matching the, the size and the detail that I put, and sometimes it, it was a lot. And then boom, I'd, I'd ink the page and finish it up and send it in, and you got your New Mutants comics. That is, um, Marat worked for me three to four days a week. We'd do endless amounts of lunches. He'd slaughter me in basketball because I sucked and he was great. And uh, we would be blasting every manner of hip-hop through our, my own private studio for a couple of years before I expanded and made Extreme Studios. But even there, people will tell you that we loved Bobby Brown and Jodeci and New Edition and Ralph Tresvant and Keith Sweat and Johnny Gill and, uh, I mean, Brownstone. You're like, who's Brownstone? They're, they're fabulous, three fabulous women with amazing vocals. Um, obviously, En Vogue before they were cool. But so, so my desire to be a uh, hip-hop performer and possibly a different race for the longest time because there, there was a period that all I did was uh, worship Magic Johnson, Prince, Michael Jackson, Eddie Murphy, and also another canceled person, Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby was the number one TV show, number one TV star. Pop culture was completely dominated by black actors, black comedians, black talent. They, the late 80s, again, Magic Johnson, Michael, then, then turned into Michael Jordan. You got Eddie Murphy dominating on Saturday Night Live, then at the box office, then with his comedy specials. He even made a hit song, Party All the Time. I mean, 
you know, produced by Rick James. Awesome track if you haven't heard it. <laughs> but you had the Cosby Show, I mean, which, which spun off a different world. I mean, Arsenio Hall, black talent, Michael Jackson, obviously Prince. We're going to get to Michael in a minute. So I loved hip hop music and I didn't mind, you know, looking like the biggest dweeb being Mr. Captain White Bread blasting all of these amazing tunes. But when Kanye West came on the scene, I was immediately captured, 100% just captured by his incredible talent. His, his stylings just caught my attention immediately. I mean, that Through the Fire song where, where he samples Chaka Khan. I mean, I was, I was on board from, from day one, just completely and totally enamored and could not get enough of, of Kanye West. I, I, I just thought that he was a fascinating story in that, in that one of the videos it might have been Through the Fire, uh, Chaka Khan sample, is when he's showing like how he got his jaw you know, sewn shut, his mouth sewn shut and, and, and drank through a straw. I mean, he, he was very compelling. I was totally taken by him. But when we, we were about to go on our fall trip, my wife has gone up to a, uh, a place near Mammoth uh, her entire life, her, her entire childhood when I started dating her and we started going out. I, I became essentially part of the family. Well, we, we were then initiated into, well, this is what we do. We go and we, we, we go to this area under, uh, you know, around Mammoth, and we hang out there and spend several days there. And it's always about a five, six hour trip. And we listen to all manner of different music as we go up. Well, my, my family is now going there routinely. I mean, my kids, when they were born, by the time they were born, we'd already been, I had already been part of this fall trip for fishing and, you know, staying in our lodges and there's all these different families and we have such a great time. And, but it's always like a five, five and a half hour drive up. And so the music is always great. Luke, my, my son was born in 2000, so obviously he went when he was zero, when he was one, when he was two. Well, in 2007, we got all three kids. They're all, some of them are even in their baby chairs, but we had our big Yukon truck that could fit 20 people in it, our big SUV that we could take our entire family around. And I had just bought Kanye West's graduation. It had come out just a few days before. And my son is seven. My, my youngest son, Chase, is five, and Olivia is four during this time. And every track on graduation completely and totally grabbed our attention. That is a perfect album if you have ever heard it. You know, the fastest, the incredible thing was how quickly all of the album from that, so many of the songs from that album were immediately played at sports arenas, Stronger. I mean, so much of that album just was adopted by the culture like immediately and whether it was flashing lights whether it was homecoming whether it was good morning whether it was champion champion and stronger became like in in nba arenas in nfl stadiums so kanye west from 2007 on it was it was no longer that i was fascinated by him like i was in 2004 2005 it was now like wow this guy is the most talented hip-hop producer musician just amazing and i have gotten every album that he has released since because I'm a Kanye West fan. Now I understand that, and, and, and clearly I'm not alone because he became even more rich, more famous, more just relevant and a giant staple of not only the hip hop community, but pop culture at large. And of course, going into the Kardashian family only amplified what was already there. Recently, if you followed him in the last couple of years, he is definitely prone to having giant information dumps where he uh, is very aggressive in the way that he shares his information. 
It hasn't seemed to hold him back. I kind of just look at Kanye as a guy who is, um, you know, got a lot going on. I, I don't know that I would use troubled, but I wouldn't put troubled out of the menu. But I think he's very, very, very complicated. I think he's also very smart. I think he's very deliberate. I don't think there's anything he does that he does not um, weigh the consequences. I think he likes flaunting authority. I think he likes flaunting. Uh, he he rages against the machine, and there are machines in our culture that are constantly at war. There's feels like there's two machines. There's a conservative machine and there's a liberal machine and they're constantly at war and we all suffer by what's going on between them because my only political thing that you're going to hear me say is we used to be politically in the United States a country that would come together and compromise. But compromise has now been a sign of weakness, so no one compromises. Neither side will give forth a compromise because the other side will point at them and say, see, they compromised, and they will show it as a sign of weakness. When I compromised on a deal once, my agent said, look, Rob, a compromise leaves both parties leaving, feeling as if they gave up something they didn't want. So by definition, compromise is going to leave you unsatisfied. But now if you compromise, it's, you know, the fingers are pointed. Well, I think Kanye has haters just like anyone else, so he is prone to having these giant uh, outbursts and some of them get him in more trouble than the others and on Sunday of the recent week that I'm speaking of right after I had seen Kevin Spacey I saw that Kanye West has been removed from all these platforms I completely missed it I had to hunt down the offending things that he said and they were offensive he shouldn't have said them that you know am I going to judge him the rest of his life because people say terrible things when I was a teenager I said you know things I regret we've all learned how to police our language more than we've maybe had in the past because there's so many pratfalls and dangerous things. You know, when you come up to me at a show and when you try and talk to me, I believe that there's a possibility that A, I'm being recorded, I'm a public figure, or, you know, recorded off scene. And look, there's a kid I met at New York Comic Con. I did not know his father had been filming me the entire time. I did not look to my left. I did not know that there was someone there. I was a little shocked that I saw all this footage aired and it's fine. I don't have a problem with it. But again, I, I did not give my consent for that to be filmed. And this is something that turned out like nice. You know, you just never know who's filming you. So I'm always looking for people who are trying to provoke me to get something for me to say that is going to um, get me in trouble. And so I'm very cautious. You should know that when you uh, approach me, I've said this. <laughs> I've said this on, on my whatnot live streams when I am on my whatnot live streams and, and we're sharing our signed comics and collectibles that, uh, I won't give you food if you give it to me. Uh, there, there was an instance where an editor was, uh, someone tried to give an editor something that was compromised back in the late 80s and it traveled around. And, you know, I, I know you guys are so sweet. And if you give me cupcakes and you give me a Frappuccino, I am so humbled, but I'm not going to eat them. So I don't want you to waste that effort on me. Um, it's not like giving Rick Springfield f flowers or, or a band flowers. Flowers are fine. And he uses them to, you know, if you've ever seen him, he uses them to, to strum his guitar until the flowers wear out. But Food, I will not partake in. I don't know who's trying to compromise me. I can't be too safe. I can't be, and you just never know how many creepy people are out there. What's the point of all this? Why am I telling you this? It's because we have to be careful with every word that comes out of our mouth, and especially tweets. You don't think I've deleted tweets? You don't think I've deleted multiple Facebook posts? Uh, the rules of engagement have changed. The things that we can say and the things that we can share have changed. Absolutely, they're changing constantly every single day, and we have to be aware I've learned to tell myself that I don't need to weigh in on much. I generally, early in, in, in Twitter, I was more critical. I have stopped doing that. I think it's not fair. I think it only amplifies the negative, especially let's take in this case a film. If you're going to criticize a film, 
then you're criticizing everyone, the sound guy, the boom mic operator, the wardrobe people, the makeup people. You are compromising everyone across the line when you do that. And they all showed up to work to try and make something cool. Maybe the results weren't great and maybe it disappointed you, but I think when it's expressed in a hostile manner, even if it's expressed at all, I just think it drags everybody down. I may say I'm not participating in something, a show anymore, because I just figured it's not for me. That's the most polite way to say it. The rules have changed. What we say and do have to be much more careful. Kanye wasn't careful. He said something that was offensive, demeaning. It was problematic. And, And so now there's been, you know, discipline taken and he's got to deal with that. I am not the judge. I'm not the jury. I'm not the executioner. I believe that there should have been discipline and those things should not have been said. And if he heard that some low level comic book guy was saying this and he wanted to chew me out, that's his right too. That's his right too. I'm still a fan. This is what I decided. I'm going to still listen to graduation. I'm still going to listen to stronger and champion and flashing lights and every song that I, that I truly dig by him. I'm not going to let it affect my enjoyment of him. No matter how controversial he's become, that doesn't make that song he made in 2007 something that I'm not going to participate in. I've already bought it. It's already on my iTunes. I'm not going to unbuy it, so therefore I'm not going to unlisten to it. And I'm not going to care if you walk into my house and it's blaring because I like that song. I like that music. What he did 15 years later is, is something that is a reflection of where he is now at that time. And what happens in the future, we'll all walk, you know, see. But I'm not going to not see The Usual Suspects. And I'm not going to listen to Graduation and listen to the Kanye West stuff that I enjoy. My entire family, my youngest son got us into Yeezys. We all have a cool pair. I'm not going to not wear those shoes now. So, So I understand he is under the auspices of cancellation now, but this is my opinion. I'm not telling you how you should feel, so don't tell me. That's my view on everything. So furthering this, with the Kanye stuff, I'm going to tell you there's no kind of more problematic canceled figure, in my opinion, in the last 20 years than the late Michael Jackson. You had to be in high school. I really believe this. It, this is of a time. So Michael breaks off from the Jackson 5. We all watch in real time. When I was a kid, Michael Jackson went on with the Jackson 5. He went on all the equivalents of the day of the Jimmy Fallon, of the uh, James Corden shows, the Ellen shows, the Jackson 5 were showing up on shows like the Dinosaur Show, the Merv Griffin Show, the Tonight Show. He would perform with his brothers and he was the standout. He was the breakout. It was only a matter of time until he was going to go on his own. And because of that, that's why, you know, some of us in the mid-90s, late-90s were like, Justin Timberlake's going to break. He's going to break away from NSYNC. He's, he's such a standout talent. This is like the Jackson 5 all over again. So then... My personal favorite Michael Jackson album is Off the Wall. I love every single track off Off the Wall. I think it is a brilliant, amazing, uh, groundbreaking, just the sounds that he and Quincy Jones came up with on Off the Wall, even the track Off the Wall, okay? The entire album is my favorite Michael Jackson album. I, I can listen to it any time of day, listen to the whole album straight through. But that put him on the map. That gave him his breakout. That gave him his huge chart-topping success, but then in 1983 when Thriller dropped in high school, I'm a sophomore and a junior, and there is no bigger jolt from the collaboration with Paul McCartney, who was one of the most beloved, and at this point now surviving beyond John Lennon, only only one of the three surviving members of the Beatles when he did his collaborations, two of them. One is on his album, Say, 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 and then The Girl Is Mine is on Thriller. But then when Billie Jean came out, it sounded like nothing you've ever heard before. MTV was such a powerful pop culture influence. Kids like myself would keep it on in their room 24-7. 
I'd wake up to it, I'd go to bed to it. All the videos that came across were influential in how I viewed the music that I listened to, the way I dressed. It informed fashion, it, it informed taste, attitudes. It, it eventually pivoted politically and became a political conduit when it realized that it had you know, the attention of youth and it could inform younger generations. But Billie Jean, and then beat it with Eddie Van Halen on the guitar track. And then, I mean, gonna be starting something, lady in my life. Every track on Thriller is fantastic. Do I prefer Off the Wall? I do. But bottom line, huge, huge albums. When he brought out Bad, he was so good that in my opinion, and this is when I learned, wow, when anticipation is huge, you can release the least popular, the least kind of accomplished track and ha have it go number one because the anticipation is so great. And that's what happened when Bad came out in the summer of 1987, his much anticipated follow-up to Thriller. You know, Just Can't Stop Loving You, the duet that he did was immediately, was immediately just... It, it played literally one station, played it for 24 hours, played that song 24 hours, nonstop, on a powerful, constant loop. That's when you know, like, the good stuff hadn't been released. Man in the Mirror wasn't out, Bad wasn't out. But for six weeks, Just Can't Stop Loving You, which I think it's okay. It's a, it's, it's a fine song, but it's nowhere near the best of that album. Certainly not Dirty Diana levels, certainly not Man in the Mirror. He got an, what, what, would, what would consider to be a fourth or fifth single on any other album he led with because he knew you wanted it so bad he could just burn that single and bad debut at the top of the charts. This is the Michael Jackson phenomenon, and obviously it continued for years and years to come up until his death. Well, as you know, there was all sorts of manner of accusations, child molestation. I have actually read almost every possible document court uh, proceeding. I was so fascinated by all of the different accusations. The judge ruled for him. The judge, ju some judges ruled against him. Some judges threw stuff out. There have been documentaries. They're uncomfortable. They're really, you know, that there's allegations out there that are extremely uncomfortable. Why am I telling you about Michael Jackson? Because I could not believe the lines outside on Broadway for the MJ show. I could not believe the lines and the availability for tickets. Our friends had been in New York a week before and their entire family went to see it. And I was like, we can see MJ? Like, we can see MJ the musical? When that musical opened, I wondered if it would have longevity. But the bottom line is the music and the memories of Michael Jackson to an entire generation. So I am 55 years old and I can remember those singles burning up the chart, dominating the radio stations, dominating MTV, dominating the culture, being the best-selling album of all time for quite some time until the Eagles took it back. But it's really just been a battle between the Eagles and Michael Jackson since I was a kid who would be the best-selling album of all time. And I'm telling you right now, right here, right now, that there is a show on Broadway, MJ the Musical, and it's going to expand. And it's surviving in the face of all of these crazy cancellations. And there are, there was a period, again, uh, the most recent documentary of a couple of years back, which really, really was messy and ugly, and there was all manner of contradictions about it. There is no kind of, oh, smoking gun. There are accusations that were hurled against him that, fact, some of them were recanted and then reasserted. And was it for money? Was it for a documentary? I don't know. I'm not the judge, jury, or executioner. I just know what comes at me. I evaluate it. I look at it. So here's the deal. I can't think of more stigma on someone than the accusations that have been hurled against Michael Jackson. The Kevin Spacey stuff isn't good. The Kanye West stuff is, is not good. Uh, pick your poison with ever who, who's been canceled. I'm not even going to cover somebody like Harvey Weinstein, which there are absolute testimony after testimony. That was a guy who was protected by his power. And then when he was not powerful, they all came forward. So Michael Jackson can't think of someone who has a more troubling accusations, but there is a musical on Broadway and apparently... 
It is not stopping that show from selling tickets, moving tickets. A friend of ours last week who was there with us was like, well, I, I, I'm going to try and get tickets to MJ. They couldn't. It was sold out for the weekend. So it's clearly selling out. So between Michael Jackson, Kevin Spacey, and Kanye West, Kanye West, the news broke right after I saw Kevin Spacey, and then MJ is got a musical. That's your connection to this episode, why these three subjects are being discussed with you right now. All apparently targets of cancellation, and really the, the, the bottom line of cancellation is, ooh, yucky, I can't touch that anymore. Ooh, yucky, I won't involve that. That is the purpose of the cancellation, is to make that person, based on whatever allegations they are, even before they are born out, with facts. Just the accusation alone is enough to let us step back. I mean, look, I'm a giant Michael Jackson fan. I play Michael Jackson in my house. I play Kanye, but there, there was a period where I'm like, eh, I'm not sure I can play Michael Jackson because, or, 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 or say on Twitter that I love him. So yes, am I guilty of being part of the shame, 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 the shame protocols that, that are applied? Yes, I am. I'm, I'm human. I'm like you. I'm human. But it doesn't make me go back and think that off the Wall is a lesser album or Billie Jean is a lesser album. I don't have the answers here. I'm not giving you answers. I'm not here to draw conclusions. I am telling you the stuff that I have danced with in my mind. That's why it's called the cancellation conundrum. When does the artist that you grew up liking, and an artist can be an actor, an artist can be a musician, an artist can draw comics. I'm not really sure there's anybody in comics that's been canceled to the level of like even discussing. I mean, I, I, I know that there have been maybe Warren Ellis has had some accusations of inappropriate behavior, I guess, but, but that seems to rise to a certain volume and then uh, go down and then rise again. And look, I understand that he upset a lot of people and I've read all sides of that. And, uh, you know, again, I'm going to throw the same to him that I'm going to throw, you know, the opinion, my, my opinion is the same as Kanye and of, of Kevin Spacey and of Michael Jackson. Like that, maybe you should have thought before going down some of those roads and making some of those decisions. They weren't maybe the, the most uh, proactive and the most positive decisions that you could have possibly made. But regardless, the cancellation conundrum is real and it has touched each and every one of us. We are all trying to reevaluate how do I feel about this person or this thing or this because they've been they've said this bad thing, supposedly they did this bad thing. Uh, the easiest way to quantify anything all the time is the proof. And some emails are damning, and emails absolutely are proof. Juries are generally most moved by video footage. Again, getting back to, I'm always under the consideration when I go out in public that someone is trying to video me. And in best instances, in, in stuff I like, I've been videoed. So again, it's very much something that I'm aware of. The other night on a live stream on whatnot, someone tried to Ron Burgundy me. I was reading as I do, interacting with all the different folks who jump on the live stream. And I have a lively live stream that people who listen to my whatnot or partake in it. Many say, I'm just here to hear you talk. And I'm very flattered. We're just having a good time. We're just talking comics and having fun. And I'm uh, maybe a little more of my humor comes out um, on that show, but someone tried to, I, I will generally read the messages, read the messages. I'm reading out loud what you're saying to me so that I can answer it. Sometimes I need my glasses on. Sometimes I don't have my glasses on. In this case, I didn't have my glasses on. It was on my iPad. I thought it was, I thought the font was large enough that I could read it. And it was about to have me say something very, very, that, that I would regret. And I stopped short. I said, oh my gosh, look what this guy was about to have me read. And it was a play on words so that ultimately I'd read it a certain way, but when the sound of those words would come out the same, it was just broken up. It was terrible. I, I, I kind of am still a little shook by it, that someone would feed that kind of misinformation to have me 
read, it was a birthday shout out. Now it was to a terrible name, but then the word was broken up in a way that it would have embarrassed me and possibly caused me significant damage. I stopped full. We took a screenshot. We reported it. We said, this guy is trying to, you know, who knows what other feeds this person's going into. But again, we have to be careful. You have to be careful at your job. You can get canceled. You could work at UPS. You could work at FedEx. You could work at, uh, at Walmart, at Target. You know, you could work at, at McDonald's, at Burger King, at Del Taco, at Chick-fil-A. And you got to be careful. You know, my son's in the private sector now. He was telling me, you know, all the rules of engagement. There's just a certain behavior level that we all have to continue to apply because things have changed. Rules have changed. The world has changed. And cancellation is real. The cancellation conundrum. I just gave almost 50 minutes to this. I don't know how you react when one of your favorite artists uh, falls into the cancellation conundrum, but I'm telling you that like, I'm not going to stop listening to Kanye. I'm not going to stop listening to Michael Jackson and I'm going to watch a Kevin Spacey film when I can. They made the art. The art was made by others. Michael didn't do that album by himself. Kanye didn't do that album by, maybe Kanye did most of it by himself, but still there are people who packaged it, sold it, marketed it, played it. The bottom line is, the reason it's called the cancellation conundrum, I just felt it was on my mind and we needed to talk about it because again, Spacey, I encountered him on the street, on my phone. I was informed that Kanye was now um, being deplatformed because of some of the regretful, very regretful things that he said. And then boom, you've got the legacy of Michael Jackson that has definitely been tainted. It's, it was a beautiful, beautiful legacy until it wasn't. And now it's got sidebars and, uh, and all sorts of qualifiers. And it's sad, but maybe again, the most powerful representation of the art is greater than the accusation. And maybe that's the conclusion I've come to. The art is greater than the accusation is that that MJ musical on Broadway prominently, and I see other public figure celebrities saying they're going to it. It is, it exists, it's out. The sales are apparently very well, very good. It was, it had to be delayed after the pandemic. I'm not promoting you should see it. I'm saying it exists. I'm saying it's doing well. That's the truth. Wow, the cancellation conundrum. It's, it's, uh, it's a handful. And, and we did, our best, I did my best to swim in it, give you some relevant thoughts. No conclusions were drawn, no judgments were rendered. But uh, moving forward, you know, I, I should also go back. I, I, whatever's going on with, with Warren Ellis and the may, maybe the regrettable behaviors and interactions that he had, it doesn't stop me from pulling out his authority issues and enjoying them or any of the work that he's done. Everyone's complicated. Everyone makes mistakes. I'm not here to condone or promote. This is just... Uh, Something that's been on my mind, wanted to talk it over with you guys. I, I imagine that you guys fall maybe into different camps and you're going to let me know. You're going to let me know because again, I'm not here to tell you how to think. I don't want you to tell me how to think. I'm just telling you how I'm be, I've been processing the cancellation conundrum. Hey, you guys understand that at the end of every show, I read the reviews that you guys leave for this show across all the different platforms. We appreciate your reviews so much. They help us stand apart. They help us, you know, elevate everything we're doing here. It gives us a greater profile as we try and reach more and more listeners. Thank you so much. So many of you guys, you guys are so generous and I appreciate it. And at the end of every episode, that's where I share the reviews that you have left about the show today. I am so excited to read a review from a gentleman named Hector. He signs Rio Bravo Comics, the account that he made it under, and he signs it Hector. It says, and this is very generous, he gives the show five stars. He says, uh, fuel for the creative soul. I can't get enough of the importance of Rob's podcast in terms of education and comic book advocacy for the new generation. One of my favorite episodes has been the Church of Comic Books. Rob shares his sincere family history and a deep dive for the love of the medium. It is uplifting and important for the advocacy of comics for all. 
having established Texas Latino Comic Con and appearing on various Latino media advocating the importance of comic books with my own comic book series, El Peso Hero, Rob makes comic book creators honored and humbled sharing the space with the greats. Gracias, Hector. Hey, Hector. That truly touches me. You know, that that Church of Comic Books episode really did come from like, I need to explain why I love comics the way I do. And again, tying my early life with my dad as a Baptist minister and going to church all the time and the, the, the kind of the merging of the, of the two passions and the superheroes in the Bible, which then found me searching out more superheroes and, and, and the vast universes of DC and Marvel where unlike Samson, unlike David, unlike Joshua, they never die. They're always coming back. Hector, thank you so much for that very generous, very kind review. Good luck with you on El Peso Hero and congratulations on the uh, Texas Latino Comic Con. We're, we're rooting for you. And speaking of rooting for you, we are always out in the social media space and I am always loving talking to each and every one of you guys, just, you know, interacting with you guys, sharing ideas, sharing concepts. Sometimes it's comics, sometimes it's movies, you know, occasionally it's toys, anime. We're just always crashing into each other's feeds and sharing our unique passion for this stuff. I am on Twitter, on social media. That's one of the ways you can reach me. I'm at Robert Liefeld, the whole name, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D, Robert Liefeld, okay? That, that is my Twitter handle. My Instagram handle is at uh, Rob Liefeld, at Rob Liefeld. Both have a blue check. Both tell you it's really me. I read your messages, your DMs, your comments. I thoroughly enjoy. I, I believe those are my most trafficked social media outlets, Twitter and Instagram. So check me out on either of those, at Rob Liefeld on Instagram, at Robert Liefeld on Twitter, and we can continue to cheer each other on. Facebook is a group that I want to share with you guys that has Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group. Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group is on Facebook. So many of you guys have gathered there. We share all sorts of uh, ideas, concepts, art, stuff that you've collected. It goes beyond what I've created, beyond Deadpool, beyond Cable, beyond Profit. It goes into anything I've created that is in the greater realm of of Marvel, DC, the stuff, uh, Hasbro, like G.I. Joe Snake Eyes, one of my favorite works I've ever done. Again, boom, that opens up the door to G.I. Joe. We talk about G.I. Joe, Avengers, Fantastic Four, so many of the concepts that I've been able to uh, touch and interact with and all the great characters and all the great um, worlds that I've been able to visit. We discuss it all in Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group. When you get there, the way you know it's Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group, the real group that you're looking for, because there's all different sorts of groups on Facebook, is myself or a gentleman named Terry Sala, S-A-L-A. Terry Sala will click you through. We will click you through to the group. That's how you know it's really us. So join us over on Rob Liefeld and Extreme Group. One way to catch me uh, outside of all of these other podcasts, the, the, the social media, the Twitter, the Instagram, the Facebook, is an app that is incredible called Whatnot. People had raved to me about Whatnot, and then once I jumped on, I believed. I could not believe how great this app is. If you are looking to buy collectibles and you want an alternative to the other uh, different platforms out there, and I believe, honestly, this is the app and the platform that is doing it the best. You want apparel, you want shoes, kicks, you want trading cards, role-playing cards, anime games. You, you want comic books, signed Funko Pops. You want original artwork. It's all there. It's all there in the spectrum. I'm there. I am there as Rob Liefeld. I do two shows a week currently. I am on Wednesday. I am on Saturday. Sometimes it's Friday. If you follow me on whatnot, I'll give you an update. It'll tell you when my next show is going to be. But when that goes live, just like all the other great options that you have, you should check out 
all the different different live streams that are going on at each and every time because people are just they're 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 literally a show will be selling Funko Pops, a show will be selling you know role playing uh, trading card games, one show will be just selling manga, anime. So each of these shows is great. My show you can find as Rob Liefeld if you follow me on whatnot. If you get the app, download it. Find me Rob Liefeld on whatnot, and and you'll get notifications when I go live and be able to get the signed uh, exclusive. We have a lot of exclusive comics that we're doing with uh, with whatnot. We have a whatnot exclusive Spider-Man right now. We have a whatnot exclusive Brigade. We have a upcoming a whatnot exclusive Deadpool. You don't want to miss out on that stuff. So make sure you sign up for whatnot. Follow me as Rob Liefeld and look for my live streams because a lot of people... <laughs> have said that the live stream that I'm doing on whatnot is kind of like the podcast extended. I'm I'm a little less filtered than I am here, so check me out, grab whatnot, and follow me. You guys, at the end of every episode, I am thrilled to encourage you and tell you you got to feed your soul. I'm going to tell you how my soul was fed. My son, 22 years old, in the private sector, comes home for the weekend. We're hanging out. He says to me on Saturday morning, hey, Dad, I, I'd like to watch Avatar. It was between some of the James Bond movies, but we've seen pretty much all of them together. And he says, I associate, you know, fall with Bond. But he's like, Dad, you know what? With Avatar coming back, could we watch it? So we got the 4K. We we loaded it. And eventually my wife wanders in. She's, she's like, I, I, I forgot how amazing this movie is. And we both sat there. We all three sat there for three hours and took in James Cameron's Avatar. And it was just amazing. The depth of field, the artistry, the state of the art, motion capture, and just the beautiful world of Pandora and, and all the conflict and the great stories. But but we were gathered together as a family unexpectedly on a Saturday afternoon. And it was, it was just a blast. It was an absolute blast. That fed my soul. We were able to experience art, intake art, discuss the art, discuss the future of the art. It was just great. We were rallying around a shared art form and it was so exciting. And I, I just encourage, man, Get with your friends, get with your family, or maybe because sometimes just here in my office, I'll just plop down on my um, beanbag and grab some comics off my spinner rack or grab a trade paperback off my shelf and I'll just escape. I'll just escape. You guys need to escape. If you're not taking time out from your busy schedules to enjoy the stuff you love, do it. Do it today. It's going to feed your soul spiritually, emotionally, physically, and mentally. It's going to give you that release, that escape. You're going to activate different different components and it's going to stimulate you. I guarantee you that is what I want for you more than anything is for you to take time out. Now, were there hamburgers involved? Was there french fries? There may have been. Was there was there quesadillas? Yes. All weekend long, we we are having fun food, weekend food, okay? There's they call them cheat meals, cheat days. Hey, have at it. That is my encouragement to you. I'm not here to be the health doctor. I'm here to tell you that you got to escape. You got to stimulate those components that inspire you and distract and give you that escape. So guys, I'm rooting for you. You know I am all the time. I know you're rooting for me and I appreciate it so much. I appreciate you watching this show. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Please, I'm going to be here. So swing back around the cul-de-sac. Find me because I'm going to be here and we are most certainly, absolutely, definitively going to talk again real soon. (laughs) 